Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus, those of you gathered here today, whether it's the first time you've ever been to St. Lawrence, a special welcome to you, or if it's been a while, and those, of course, joining us through our uh, media platforms, uh, great to have you with us. Always welcome to come in person as well. We experience a little bit of the community of of the body of Christ as we uh, witness Jackson's baptism and uh, made a promise to serve as the body of Christ. Well, um, one thing I'd like to give you an opportunity to do because Kevin has made the arrangements for it, to symbolize that, I think Kevin came up with the idea of, um, of having baseballs and pens, Sharpies, and he would invite anyone who's here who witnessed Jackson's baptism, if you have the time and opportunity to sign a baseball in the, in the, in the lobby. And then he said that he will take those and then he will be incorporating them into, um, I think, a glass. Uh, I think he said it's a lamp that has a glass part to it or whatever. I don't know if he's going to let Jackson play with one of those baseballs in his room with that lamp there, but that's for him to worry about. Um, but if you are able to and want to as a, as a symbol of that uh, family of God, uh, you have that opportunity after service. So thanks for that idea. And um, it is a reminder to us, though, of course, of what our sermon series that we've been going... Did you know we had a sermon series? Well... At least it was an honest answer. Um, and then you're probably going to tell me that four weeks ago when I uh, started the sermon series and mentioned that the explanation, Luther's explanation of the third article of the Apostles' Creed was your memory assignment for today, you're probably going to look at me like the eighth graders do in confirmation class. What? We had memory? We didn't know anything about this. So those of you, you're going to get your opportunity to shine because I'm going to say the third article. You are then going to respond to what does this mean by saying Luther's explanation. You ready for this? Again, another honest answer. I, honesty is, is just great here. Okay, we'll put it on the screen just for you. All right. The third article says, I believe in the Holy Spirit as we just sang the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurre resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. What does this mean? I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to Him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. 
okay, I'll say you passed. But do you at least now recognize the sermon series we've been using, the five words that Luther chooses to identify the work of the Holy Spirit, that he calls, that he gathers, he enlightens, he sanctifies, and now today we talk about how he has kept and continues to keep us in the faith. The unveiled life, the Holy Spirit is unveiled as we talk about his work because normally he's behind the scenes. He does not get the press time in the scriptures like the Father and the Son, of course, but his work is just as extremely important and makes everything possible for us. But the unveiled life also applies to what happens as the Holy Spirit strengthens and creates and sustains our faith so that we can unveil the good works that God would have us to do before all people so that they can give glory to Him. And in the midst of all this, we have the wonderful parable of the wicked tenants. I don't know how familiar that one is to you. It doesn't make the top 10 Sunday school stories as uh, perhaps it has something to do with, well, there's quite a, well, even the title tells you something, the parable of the wicked tenants and the judgment that comes. Again, we heard it read, but a man plants a vineyard needs to go away on business. We're not told what. Jesus doesn't tell. But he rents it to some tenants. And when you rent land like that, what is the understanding that Jesus hears and and us today would understand? That there's some kind of a contract, there's some kind of an arrangement that they will pay a certain portion, whether it's money or in this case the fruit of the vineyard, to the owner, but then be able to live off of and, and make money if they can off the rest. Well, time comes to send a servant to gather the fruit. And now we have a problem. Maybe they didn't read the small print or the entire contract that they signed. Maybe they've had a change of heart and thought, you know, I don't think we're going to go with that. Or maybe that was their evil intent from the beginning. Either way, the tenants do not pay. And not only do they not pay, they take the servant from the owner and they beat him, physically assault him and send him away empty-handed. So the owner says, okay, let's send a second one. Same results. Let's send a third one. Same results, and it seems to get even more shameful throughout the process. And bottom line, they don't pay a thing. Now, at this point, I don't know if you're like me, but at this point, I'm starting to wonder about the mental stability of the owner. How about you? Okay. Isn't it three strikes and your... Speaking of baseball, three strikes and you're out. But this owner says, hmm, they've beaten up, shown hostility, shamefully treated my servants. They still owe me money. They're refusing to pay. What should I do? Oh, I know. I'm going to send my beloved son 
because I'm going to send him. And, and when he goes there, well, maybe there's a chance they will respect him. <laughs> Hello? Should he have been surprised when the outcome was as it was, as Jesus tells the story, they not only send him away empty-handed, they end up killing him. They say, this is our chance. This son is going to inherit this vineyard, so if we get rid of him, we can have the vineyard for ourselves. Brilliant strategy, whatever you call him. Brilliant, isn't it? Now... Finally, in my words, the owner comes to his senses and says, okay, that's enough. All right, they've killed my own son and they've rejected everything. And so Jesus says the owner is going to do what he needs to do to literally wipe out those wicked tenants. They have demonstrated their unworthiness. He's going to get rid of them, and he will give the vineyard to someone else. That's law. (laughs) That's judgment. And in fact, it's good for us on two counts to recognize this parable as being one of law and judgment. How many times do we not look around the world today and see evil and those who commit the evil seeming as if they are under no threat of punishment, as if they're uh, immune to any consequences. They, in fact, celebrate perhaps and, and kind of glory in the evil that they perform and the dishonesty and the uh, trickery and, and the greed and all of those things. And we sit here and say, wait a minute, What's going on? You see, when Jesus told this parable, those who were listening were, some of them were religious leaders, the Pharisees and so forth. And when they heard this parable and Jesus proclaiming the judgment on the tenants, the people there said, surely not. At least that's how it's translated in the ESV. It was an exclamation, no way. You've got to be kidding me. Say it ain't so. You see, whether they were reacting to the fact that, that the owner was going to destroy the tenants and they thought that was outrageous, or whether it was the behavior of the tenants from the beginning that that was outrageous, no way, they would say. Whatever it is, or maybe the whole thing, they were dumbstruck. They were can't believe this. And so what did Jesus do? He then sent helicopters. Actually, that was the owner. <laughs> the owner sent military. Actually, one of, the cha- one of the gospels does say it that way, that the owner sent military as troops to destroy. Um... Does anybody here have anything to confess? But we need to hear that word of judgment. Those religious leaders needed to hear that word of judgment because 
Jesus was indeed telling it about them, that they had rejected God's prophets over the centuries, and in fact, they were in the process of getting rid of the owner's very son. You heard the word. It said that once they heard him, they perceived that he was telling this parable about them, and they looked for any opportunity. They put the wheels in motion of the plot to get rid of Jesus. And they sent spies who pretended to be sincere to try to catch Jesus in some kind of misspeak. Well, there is judgment. And again, on the one hand, I think we can take some comfort, even if it's self-serving perhaps, in knowing that those who are in fact violating God's laws and doing so blatantly, hurting other people, destroying God's creation, or whatever the case may be, that there will be judgment. Make no mistake about it. The owner knows exactly what's going on. Whether that judgment happens at the end of time on Judgment Day, or if it happens sometime sooner than that in particular individual lives, there will be judgment. But having said that, we also need to know that this parable of judgment, yeah, it can speak to us. Now, surely we're not like the owners of the, or the tenants, are we? We're not the wicked tenants. I mean, we haven't beat anybody up who came to us from the Lord unless one of you sent those helicopters. But anyway, um, we have not plotted against the sun. We haven't claimed to say, you know what? If we get rid of the heir, then the inheritance will be ours. And that means we are in control. And you know what that ultimately means? It means that there are people who would say that they want to be running things. In other words, that they would like to be God. That doesn't apply to you and me, does it? No, there's no way that we're that conniving, that we're that um, uh, treacherous or wicked. But then again, I think we should look at that contract that God's people have with him. Just like in the Old Testament, the fruit that they were to give to the Lord was not grapes or any other kind of fruit, but it was the fruit of good works. It was the fruit of righteousness, of holy living, of obedience to his word, his law, his covenant, his contract. It was the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. And so when we read the details and realize that in that sense, we are under that he's given us everything and all we need to do is give him a portion back and yet it's as if we've never, we've never read the fine print or we've changed our minds or we've said, no, we don't want this. And in fact, isn't it the case that when we look at the contract, when we look at the wording and then we twist it so that we can justify ourselves, that we can make ourselves look right and claim that that particular prohibition or command does not apply to us because it was old or it applies to other people, don't we put ourselves in the same position of ultimately saying, we wish we were in control? Just one example, it is so easy. You know, Luther in his explanations, he did the Ten Commandments. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you about those either. But 
The Eighth Commandment says what? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so we say, yeah, that's a legal thing. I've never done that. I've never given false testimony. But Luther does something interesting, of course. He says we should fear and love God so that we do not um, lie or slander our neighbor, but defend him, speak well of him. And the old version was put the best construction on everything. I think it says explain everything in the kindest way. Now I lay that out there because that's part of the contract. That is indeed part of the spirit of the law when somebody hurts us, when somebody interacts with us. And how many of us do that? What would social media look like if every one of us followed the the command to put the best construction on everything or to explain everything in the kindest manner even when we've been hurt what would happen imagine if we were to indeed love our neighbors and even love our enemies how different our lives would be. But what do we do? We are justified in being able to speak bad about them and running to our friends and saying this and that because they've hurt us. No. No, you're not justified in that. We are called to speak love. We're in the same boat. We want to be God. And yes, there's judgment coming. I uh, had to write a paper on this particular parable in one of my first classes in seminary. It's very clear that I don't remember much from seminary or learned all that many lessons, but this one I can remember, Dr. Waldemar Degner, and it was an exegetical class, meaning you look specifically at the words of the scriptures and study them. And this parable, and as uh, Lutherans, of course, we look at things through law and gospel. And we, and we do have a tremendous gift in our theology of looking at Scripture through law and gospel and distinguishing it. So we had to write a paper on law and gospel with a particular Bible passage. And so I looked at this and I concluded, boy, if there's a more clear passage of law in Scripture, show me it. Because this is giving it to them. It's a, a parable of condemnation for them and even for us. Well, I don't know if he called me into his office privately or if I went to him because I got such a bad grade on the paper. But he sat me down and in his mild way, Dr. Degner said, uh, well, uh, Joel, uh, you, uh, you properly identified that there's uh, law in this parable. And I said, yeah, yeah, it's law. Uh, but don't you see the gospel, the, the good news? I'm like, uh, no. And he proceeded to point out, asking, well, how many times did the owner send someone? And do you think in Jesus' parable, though it was limited to three, do you think that was the limit? And he proceeded to point out, in fact, this very thing of what we're talking about, what the Holy Spirit does to keep you and me in the faith. How many times haven't we done something that we stand condemned before other people 
And yes, we may have to pay the consequences, but how many times haven't we stand condemned before God and He has every right to come in and wipe us out, to ruin our lives, to say, you are condemned, you're gone, you're history. But the Holy Spirit is there advocating, saying, give them another chance. Let them hear your word again. You see, the gospel is in the fact that God has chosen to grant mercy so many times again and again and again, and he doesn't get tired of it. And we are recipients of it. He chooses to love and show mercy. And so... We are blessed that the Holy Spirit keeps working that word in our hearts and, and causes us to be, come to repentance, to see that maybe we are sinful and we need forgiveness. And that's what God chooses to do. You know, Jesus, in that comment about, as he quoted from Psalm 118, he said, the stone the builders rejected, which is, of course, law, That parable was an example of the builders rejecting Christ, rejecting the cornerstone. But it goes on to say, has become the cornerstone. And in fact, the very next verse in Psalm 118, Jesus didn't use it here, but it says this, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit is indeed marvelous. He keeps us in the faith over and over and over and over again, and He builds upon us on the foundation of Christ and the faith in our hearts, and He builds so that we can indeed give the fruit to the owner Not because we have to or we're under contract with Him, but because the Holy Spirit moves us to do that of our own free will. This is indeed marvelous in our eyes. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.